This is the story of how Martin Port dropped out of school at 15 years old to eventually build a 100 million pound company. When I left school at 15, um, I got a trainee manager's job at uh, Comet. I'd arrive at 8 a.m. after taking two buses, uh, put the flags out, and then I'd be uh, helping them set up in the store, cleaning, selling. His hard work started to show and he became really good at selling. The first success was uh, the bakery business. Within the space of 12 months I doubled the sales of the bakery from $10,000 a week to $20,000. Fast forward a few years, today he runs a big software company called Big Change. In February 21 the company uh, was valued at £100 million. We took a £75 million investment and the business has grown in the last two years since taking that investment to more than double uh, the revenue. With high ambitions. Uh, at some point in the future it will be worth a billion. Martin gave some valuable advice. Reality is that you know we need to be wake up in the morning, look at ourselves in the mirror and we say we're going to be a lion. Hello everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're joined by the amazing Martin Port. Um, do you want to explain who you are? So, um, yeah, I'm Martin Port. Um, I'm married. I've got a wonderful wife called Amanda, who's uh, managed to make me uh, a happy man. Uh, not only because I've got four beautiful children, but also uh, because she's always been my partner in business. You know, that's the secret ingredient. Get your wife involved with the business. Uh, my background is uh, pretty much um, in three parts. First part, I left school with not much education. I had a hearing problem and it wasn't uh, uh, diagnosed when I was at school. Uh, so I didn't have any hearing aid, so it was hard to concentrate and listen. Um, so I left school at 15. Um, first part of my life was in consumer goods. Then I went into the food industry for bread, speciality bread, kosher bread, selling kosher bread on the streets of New York to uh, hotels and restaurants. And then I came back to the UK, set my own bakery business up. Then I went into technology and spent the last 25 years in technology. And that's where I've had a reasonable success in my last two technology businesses. And now I'm still in um, a company called Big Change, which I recently you can see on this sold over here yeah, on this jacket. Yeah, yeah Big Change. Big change. Yeah. You have to market it here. It's <laughs> has this, to get the branding. This is my first. We're based. We're in Manchester now. Yeah. You'd have Manchester United on your <laughs> or Manchester City. <laughs> I mean, I'm a blue, not a red. But I've got big change. Big change. And just so, to, just to define what, you, what Martin means by a reasonable success, he means you've got a huge company. Uh, two years ago, someone invested seventy five million pounds into the company. So uh, in February twenty one, um, I managed to. Um, uh, the company uh, was valued at 100 million pounds. We took a 75 million pound investment. Um, I became the chairman of the company. Uh, we appointed a CEO, and the business has grown in the last two years since taking that investment to we're more than double uh, the revenue. So we're now uh, over roughly over 25 million annual recurring revenue. Um, the company employs. 270 people and uh, we've got a great investor partner um, and we're looking forward to the future and doing great things. Well yeah. that's relative su success, <laughs> just relative. <laughs> but yeah, so let's let's go all the way back. So 15 year old you, you've left school, 
you've got a hearing problem, you didn't do too well, like most of us, but um, what, what did you do from then? You're 15. And so um, I wanted to, um, obviously I didn't want to go into any kind of the family business. I wanted to learn, uh, learn by working for other people. So I had the opportunity to, while I was at school, I was working in retail. Uh, at, at that time I wasn't Shomre Shabbat, um, now I'm Shomre Shabbat. But I used to work on Saturdays in, uh, um, at, uh, at, in fact, it was a Jewish actual company called Cecil G. Uh, and I was 13 years old. Nowadays, you won't be able to work in a shop at 13. That mm. would be classed as uh, illegal, probably. Uh, but Unless no, you're got, behind the counter, no one sees you. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I got a great education um, you know, in retail. And then I, I, when I left school at 15, um, I got a trainee manager's job at uh, Comet. Um, which is no longer in business, but Comet was a big discount retailer of electrical goods based in Leeds. Um, I was a blue coat, so I'd arrive at 8 a.m. after taking two buses, uh, put the flags out, the store the flags, and then I'd be uh, helping them set up in the store, cleaning, selling, love selling, um, and uh, learn the electrical retail business. And then after a time, I went to work for a jeweler's, and I hate the jewelry business because you're effectively dressing a window all the time. You know, you're selling out of the window, um, and it's quite, um, you know, seasonal business. You know, it's uh, Easter and um, and, and at the uh, uh, end of the year, December, you know, Christmas time. Um, so, um, yeah, I did that for a short while, and then eventually I went into um, a family business. Um, which was um, a, a buying and selling of merchandise, uh, and typically it was stock lots. So uh, businesses that had uh, goods they wanted to sell, but they were end of lines, uh, and we would buy those goods at a uh, reduced price. But that was um, kind of my early days. Um, but the hearing problem wasn't really diagnosed until I got married, and uh, my wife, uh, was re repeated different she was asking me questions and I, I wasn't I couldn't hear her properly was that uh, especially or because of the hearing problem <laughs> selective <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so um, hopefully we'll make it through this interview and I'll be able to hear everything because I've got um, a hearing aid or two uh, two hearing aids in my ear yeah and um, these are bigger ones than what I had in the in the past because my hearing's got worse but um, I definitely uh, if anybody's got a hearing problem out there, definitely advocate, you know, get your hear, how, hearing checked. How is that having those hearing problems when you're in school or through all your jobs? It's a really funny story because uh, my um, my brother and I, we've had a hearing test at the same time and uh, he got called back uh, for a second test because they said he's got a hearing problem and actually uh, they said he was fine on the second test and it obviously became apparent they got the test mixed up and it was myself that had the hearing problem not not my brother Anthony and um, yeah I've been just uh, left with poor hearing uh, for a long period of time and it was only as I say when uh, I got married my wife uh, realized that I just had, couldn't hear. How's uh, it because I, I know in, like, when I was younger I used to also have hearing <laughs> problems and I couldn't hear what people were saying so I had to, I had to read what people were saying by the, by, by lip reading yeah so it's, it's not not the easiest i think um yeah i'm not lip reading yet but uh 
I've got 80% hearing loss without these hearing aids. Uh, with them, obviously, um, they make a massive difference, but it's still, um, sometimes it's difficult in a room. Uh, uh, but now I've got a little microphone, so I can actually uh, uh, pin it to the person I'm with, uh, having a meeting with, and actually he can speak into the microphone, and it creates like a mini loop, and then the sound comes That's into really my hearing. Smart. So technology in hearing is really, uh, you know, moving on leaps and bounds. Yeah. So after you left school, you did one of everything, pretty much. You, pre you pretty much did everything, jewellery, bakery, whatever. What was the first success that you sort of found after you left school? So the, the first success was uh, the bakery business. It wasn't the biggest success, uh, but it wasn't a failure. Um, a success. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and that was really uh, when I came back from New York after working for a German bread bakery, uh, which was kosher, based in Jersey City. Um, I was a salesman, uh, arrived there when I was 24 years old. Um, I, it was based in Jersey City, um, and I learned very quickly um, about the bread. And the great thing about selling food is you, it's like, you can get an instant reaction. To, you know, to know how, what people think of it. So it's very satisfying. Yeah. So um, I um, uh, and obviously uh, I knew how to sell. I knew how to pick up. In those days, you had the yellow pages. They call it the nine X directory. Big thick yellow pages, um, not the internet. And uh, obviously found all the food establishments, the hotels, restaurants. Picked the phone up, and they love the sound of hearing an English guy on the phone and uh, they said, come, come on and see us. Uh, we'd love to, to meet our cousins from Europe, from England, sorry. And uh, you always meet people that are of Irish descent or, and um, they, they obviously uh, feel close. So that, I think that helped me, you know, and uh, within the space of 12 months, I doubled the sales of the bakery from $10,000 a week to $20,000. Uh, so it was obviously, um, successful and the chap that owned the bakery said to me um what we've done so well um i'd like to do a partnership with you and in, in uh, pretzels uh we set let's set up a, a retail outlet in the port authority bus terminal in the center of new york on 42nd street and we'll sell uh, german pretzels bake them off in store bring them pretzels frozen from germany authentic bake them off and sell them to the New York audience, New, New, York, uh, uh, New Yorkers passing through, or people from New Jersey passing through the Port Authority. Um, and they, um, the, um, the uh, people were, uh, they did a lot of running, rushing through this Port Authority, because what we didn't realize, there was a lot of vagrants hanging around. And when we set up the store, it was, difficult to get people to stop and buy because they were they didn't like to hang around the bus terminal so that was quite um uh quite a difficult time but it was reasonably did you successful money? did you lose a lot of money on that one or? uh that wasn't uh i was just um more like the minority partner but giving my time um so that wasn't really my first uh first business yeah venture uh, my first business venture was when i came back to the uk and I started a business called Krusty Speciality Bread. Um, that was in uh, 1990. Um, and I built that over seven years. Um, and like I say, it was a reasonable success. Um, and we had four kiosks. 
um, also a wholesale business of 100 customers selling specialty bread. Um, but it was a hard, hard slog, getting up at midnight, um, leaving my home about two in the morning, going to pick the bread up from the bakery, because um, we didn't bake anything else. Why didn't you pay someone to do it once you got back? We purchased all the bread, and then uh, we used to drive every day from... Why didn't uh, you pay someone to do it once you were big enough to wake up at 12? Or? Yeah, that was... Uh, Why didn't you pay someone to to uh, to pick up the bread instead of you once you were big enough? Once you could afford to pay. Once you were, yeah, we didn't have no the point. money. No point. We had to do it myself. Oh, wow. uh, so uh, uh, maybe if I know what I know now, I'd have paid somebody. Yeah. But in those days, um, I was only 26, 27. Um, you know, um, but bootstrap business, very little money. Um, and uh, so I used to uh, collect the bread from Lancashire, uh, bring it back to Yorkshire, sell the bread. Um, deliver bread, sorry, then go out afterwards trying to find more customers and, and develop it over a period of time. Yeah. Uh, so I think we had about 20 employees. We got to a point where we where we uh, sold the business on. And that was just really um, after I got married and I had my first child. I just couldn't uh, be doing that. And also, um, I, um, uh, you know, the salary that I was drawing from the business was really low. So it was. Um, so uh, when I you sold it, the you re- made the rewards weren't. Um, when you sold it, did you make did you make back a lot of money then? Uh, no, no, it wasn't a, a big success. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. In fact, the uh, I remember the Financial Times they got in touch with me um, when I was starting Big Change, and they said, obviously, uh, we'd like to. Uh, we're doing an article on people that have gone from failure to success. So I said, well, I don't think the bakery was a failure, but it wasn't. The big success. Yeah. So, but I was happy to do the article, and, the, and they interviewed me, and uh, uh, they did a nice write-up on how I'd started uh, the bakery business. It wasn't so successful, and then I started another business called Masternaut, uh, which eventually sold for about sixty million. Um, did you, you start that now, from scratch? Sorry. Did you start that from scratch? So that was started from scratch. Yes, and. Uh, so the, the UK business was started in 2002, yeah. and then we sold it in uh, 2011 uh, to an American private equity. How did you manage to make into 60, uh, make worth 60 million in nine years? Uh, well, so we, um, we actually um, started with uh, about, I think it was 300,000 pounds, sorry, uh, 500,000 we started with, yeah. um, and uh, with a couple of people um, bootstrapped and um, that was all the cash we had um, and we built the technology uh, we also used um, some h- hardware that was we could buy off the shelf um, and we built the tracking vehicle tracking technology with 500,000 sell to businesses yeah oh, okay and um, you use the cash that we're generating in the business to grow it um, and we were by the time um, we did a, a, a first sale to uh, a French company, an airport company, and then uh, we sold the whole business eventually in 2011. So um, the, the the business uh, in the UK had um, around 200 people working for it. Um, we also had a share of a, a tolling business as well in the UK, which had uh, quite a few hundred people working for it. 
Um, but at the end of it, we, we sold it for about 60 million, um, the combined business. So yeah. after, so you've left, so you left the bakery and then how long after you left the bakery did you start this business? So we, I left the bakery uh, in 97, uh, got into telematics in 1998, uh, worked for a company for four years, kind of learned the business and learned uh, the good thing, what to do and what not to do, and then went to my own and set up Mastermore in t 2002. 2011. Um, it feels like a job interview. You'll get the job properly. <laughs> okay. You've got a nice portfolio. <laughs> okay. you, me you mentioned, was it good, when you were trying to, when you were your first uh, job well not your first job but your first partnership where you didn't pay any money but you started uh, that selling pretzels you're saying the guy really liked you because you're very good at selling you just just called people up they liked you and you were very good at selling and you liked selling I presume you still like selling but how did you how are you able to have those because that's a very most people aren't that good at selling and don't have don't have the confidence to just call random people up well, I think the first thing is you've got to believe in the product haven't you or the service so um, I, I always, uh, I'm passionate, I have to be passionate about the product yeah. or the service uh, and believe in it. And once I'm, I believe in it, then, um, then I need to obviously uh, work out how I'm going to market the product and then sell it. Um, uh, with bread, obviously, you've got to get in front of people. Um, and obviously, you have to understand which market you're going after. Uh, so the bread that I've always sold has been speciality bread. So you go after the gourmet food shops or delicatessens, uh, fine restaurants, hotels, and you pick the phone up and you speak to the man at the top. Yeah, never speak to the... How uh, do you manage to get past them? How uh, do you manage to get past the gatekeeper? So we've got this English man uh, <laughs> who speaks with a dialect talking to Americans. Yeah, they, they love the English and uh, they won't be rude. <laughs> there was no gatekeepers. No gatekeepers. No, 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 no oh. gatekeepers. So that's your secret. Learn British accents. Yeah. So it's interesting because I've had a, I had a short stint while I was in consumer goods, uh, before I got into bread, and I was, I was in working in Germany, and um, it it was great because I uh, used to phone up, speak to the Geschäftsführer, which is like the chief, of the business. Um, I don't know if you speak Yiddish. I do not know. No. All right, okay. I've got my anyway. own version. <laughs> All right, okay. So the or the chief, yeah. and um, it was easy because uh, you know people just handed you, put you straight through because they couldn't be a hassle with uh, speaking to an English guy when and they didn't speak much English. So um, um, so yeah, it's about you need to you need to push, don't you? And you need to hotspot. I mean, nowadays we have things like LinkedIn. You can direct message a, 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 a chief or a boss or a director. Um, uh, but the, you know, in the olden days, we never had LinkedIn. Uh, we had directories, we had um, you know, uh, books, and you, you reference books. You'd get, in fact, you'd go to the library, can you imagine? Can you I, imagine went, I went to the library yesterday, actually. You did? Really? Yeah, I know, yeah. it was very strange. I'm uh, never going to give back the books. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I even have things like microfish in those days, where What's that? Ha well, basically you'd have like uh, a film yeah. where the information was on, and you'd you'd put it into like a projector, and um, you would be able to then see, see project up what. So it would like it's information that uh, 
to actually find the book. Oh, wow. uh, and then when you found the book, uh, obviously you have to go into, people have to climb on a, a ladder in the library and fish out the book. <laughs> uh, but we had directories, so uh, that's how you would uh, find all the contacts. That's, wow, that's, yeah, I think, yeah, obviously that was a few years ago, but, you know, you're not that old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you've, you've now got 60 million, you've sold your business. Not I don't all know mine. if you got all, all the not 60 all million, but you've, you've probably partly got a mine, lot of money. Par partly mine. Uh, but it's not about the money. It's about success isn't about money. It's about what the legacy, you know, what, what you... This podcast is sponsored by Iceberg. Iceberg is an SEO company unlike any other. Most SEO companies tie you into a six-month, highly-priced contract, but Iceberg is different. Iceberg has no contract, has amazing customer service. You can contact them anytime, any day, and they'll be there for you. They actually get results, and they don't charge a ridiculous amount. In fact, they'll be any genuine quote you get by 20%. So, if you want to increase website visibility and Google rankings to generate more inquiries, get in touch with Iceberg now. Contact them with the link in the description. You've got to build something that's going to keep going, so... The Masternaut business is now uh, owned by Michelin, the tire company, uh, in the same offices that I started, the, you know, uh, sold the business, uh, was based in that office in, in Priory Park, Leeds, in a beautiful building, and they're still there uh, under the name of Michelin. And I'm really proud that my first business is now owned by Michelin, the tire company, this big conglomerate, and um, it's still developing. So, um, you know, what we do is we, we we plant the seeds, we start growing the trees, but we don't we, we, we don't necessarily see all the fruits, and the fruits can be, um, you know, eaten by the next gen the next owners of the business and the owners after that. So is, well, that, I, is that what motivates so, you? So not yeah, not yeah. money, but legacy. Uh, and also, yeah, and br people bringing people on. So, um, for example, in every business that I've run. And now I'm the chairman, so I'm, I'm not, I don't have the CEO role. I always do final interviews uh, with taking anybody on. So uh, big change. Um, everybody I final interviewed. Uh, Every so single person sure in the company. Pardon? Every person in the company. Yeah. Oh, so wow. Until, That's until I became chairman, and yeah. then obviously uh, Richard does it his way. Um, but I. Um, I made sure that the people had the right DNA, had the right background. Um, they they had uh, I could, you know I could feel the uh, you know the empathy they were they had empathy with what you know what we were looking to achieve um, and it's very important because um, you know uh, recruitment is an expensive it's expensive to recruit and if you get it wrong it's even more expensive and also it it affects people's morale so you know getting the right people for me is job one. Uh, people, then obviously you've got the product, uh, great customer service, uh, generates sales, which generates the cash, and that's kind of fuels the business to stop. Do you put do you put before so in that company in that list that you mentioned? You put people in the company first before everything, then it's the product. Yeah, I mean obviously the product is the, you know, you're solving a problem, aren't you? You're saying you know, uh, the reason why I set up Big Change was because. Plumbers and electrical engineers, um, all different types of 
service type engineers in the construction sector. They're working on paper, they're working on spreadsheets, they're working on Google Diaries, Outlook, uh, they're working on an account system there, they've got a tracking system there, lots of different systems. And then the engineer in the, is working on paper. So, you know, being able to combine all those different uh, systems and bring them into one single platform, I knew that would uh, solve a massive problem and they could deal with one supplier and uh, that's why I set up Big Change. Uh, but again, as I say, without the great people, um, as you know, um, I'm here today uh, because of the great Serge Fagelman, who was kind enough to introduce me to, uh, to your, and uh, I promised Serge a plug. <laughs> why, you mentioned about legacy. Why is that about legacy? Because, um, uh, you know, the growth businesses tend to, at the beginning they lose money, and then uh, over a period of time they start to uh, generate cash, uh, sorry, generate profit, um, and um, you know what you're building is something for the future, so that um, obviously you get more and more customers. Those customers uh, buy more of the product, they um, renew their contracts, and it just—it's like a, you know, you're building um, a business based on uh, recurring revenue. So the more recurring customers, revenue, yeah. the more re the renew, uh, the the more. Um, you Money know, the you more the sales grow yeah. and the more valuable the business gets. Um, and when you take a par financial partner, there's always got to be, um, uh, you've got to create value for that partner so that he gets the return that he's looking for. And then um, when the business is, uh, takes a new financial partner, again, they get the return they're looking for. So why is that about the legacy rather than anything else? Because people start companies for all different reasons. It's, it's like, like it's it's a f well the the thing is the outcome is you get paid a lot of money you you know you receive um, when you sell your share in the business yeah you receive a lot of money because uh, depending on how the business is done um, and obviously uh, uh, you know for me it was all about uh, finding the right partner which I found an American private equity called Great Hill a fantastic organization. Uh, we have a great um, group of colleagues from Great Hill on the board, um, and they're very supportive in helping us grow. Um, and they invested a serious amount of money, and we've got to make sure we have a commitment to them, we have a commitment to our people, commitment to our customers, to make sure that um, you know that we're growing and uh, we provide more value to them. Um, and you know, it's a just a keeps going around. You know, the circle. You said you said uh, money's not really an inspiration. Something that doesn't really push you. So I think money is a obviously the outcome. It's the outcome, but it's not yeah. the thing that gives you motivation. Yeah, I mean, when I first started Big Change, I had a, and I the idea was that I would grow uh, grow a business that would become a value yeah. of a hundred million. That was my first, that was my uh, the milestone I wanted to hit uh, before bringing in a new financial partner. And he made it much higher. You made your target high. So I made the uh, value 100 million. Yeah. And then um, I, um, you know, the, hopefully um, the next, in, in a year, year and a half, two years, what, how, however long it takes, um, we'll bring another partner in. And hopefully the business is worth 
X hundred million. You is this your current company? Yeah. You said in 2019 you want your company, big change, to be worth a billion. I did my research on you. Absolutely, yeah. He said in 2023 you wanted to be worth a billion. In 2023? Yeah. Or 2024, yeah. sorry, 2024. Uh, 2024, 2025, uh, but we wanted to a billion. Is yeah. it on track? Yeah. There's only one big change, so uh, <laughs> at some point in the future it'll be worth a billion. Yeah. What, what motivates you to start to do business? Uh, because As a lot I of people say, do business, a lot of people don't do it well, and you're like the not point not not top one percent. Um, I think that um, I work on the basis. I'm not interested in if everything's going smoothly. That you know, I'm interested in finding the things that aren't going smoothly yeah. and dealing with those and changing small change for big change. So um, I'm constantly walking the shop floor. I'm looking to make continual improvement. Um, constantly talking to customers, um, you know, um, my 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 um, time is spent a lot on the marketing, the sales, driving the sales. Um, you know, uh, you know, working with the team. I had a great uh, leadership team at Big Change, and uh, they're still still most of them are still there, and um, you know they they uh, are following on. And picking up where I left off, um, let's say Richard, the CEO, is doing a fantastic job. Um, but I think um, you know the great thing about, as I say, with business is that you can give people an opportunity. You know, uh, give them the chance to work in a great company. You know, offer them employment. I like to take people from the community um, because those people are, um, you know, they're. Um, tend to be you know people that I know people I've seen them growing up um I may have bumped into them at the uh, Shabbat Kiddish um on Shabbos and said to them uh, you know do you fancy a summer job uh and they can work for me in the summer and then they've they've gone to university and then they've come back and they've done a year for me well after university then they've gone away again they've got a job with Price Waterhouse or Ernst and Young and then they've left there after three years and they've come back to work for me and now they've been with me six or seven years so you know um in my businesses uh, in the, over the last 20 years i've had um, a lot of people <coughs> from my community uh, work with me and i found that a very good formula that's great so a lot of people when they talk about people they talk about success they talk about money they talk about legacy and all of those things but there must be some hardships and some tough things that you have to go through in order to get there. So what, what, what have you have had to succumb to get to where you are? So the two, two difficult times in the last two businesses, in Massonaut was 2008 in the banking crisis. So we had to lay off uh, 50 people. We had to double down. We had a, a loan on a property which we'd bought for £6 million. Um, obviously, the bank wanted us to uh, to kind of reduce the loan. Once I've already given you the money, the bank. Uh, yeah, once I've already given the money, they want to reduce so, it in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, so, wow. two thousand and eight, they call it the banking crisis, and um, when you had a, a loan uh, against a property that was in the business, um, they, uh, uh, you know, they wanted they wanted the, uh, us to kind of. Um, pay down on the loan so we had to cut headcount and uh, so that was a difficult period of time but we were um, 
battle hard and we managed and we got through it and uh, um, we paid back the bank. In fact, we gave the bank all the money back. Um, the full six million? Six million. Really? We paid them all back. And, uh, and, 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 and uh, so that was a tough time. Um, Why was it tough? Because you had um, to cut, keep, cut people out. Sorry? Why was it tough? Was it tough because you well, had because to kick people out? Reduced overhead. Uh, you know, uh, you've got to have a runner process where, you know, people are, um, have, have to, uh, you know, reduce the amount of people working in the business. Uh, and nobody wants to, like, to get rid of people. But uh, we have to, we, you know, we have to do what we had to do to um, get back on a, an even keel. So that, that was a tough time. And then in 2000, um, sorry, in 20, uh, 2020, we had the pandemic. So um, that was um, that was 2019. We kind of knew we were going to go into um, lockdown. Um, and uh, so that, that was tough uh, because um, uh, I'm... I decided to reduce the um, senior executives' pay, uh, so I took a thirty percent pay cut, um, and then I got the other executive to take a pay cut, and then obviously we had the opportunity to furlough people, um, and we, we we I remember um, you know Ch January, February, March, um, we were um, I think it was March we went into lockdown, didn't we? Um, and um, you know the uh, um, I was ready for that for that for that first lockdown, and then April was really hard, and then we started selling online. So before we were visiting, what did, how did you sell online? Uh, pardon? How did you sell online? Oh, I, th I thought you sellers uh, you work together with companies, but they wouldn't need you as much, would they? If they're not, if they're working from home. Uh, no, no, no. The um, uh, our customers um, had systems that were, uh, our prospects, sorry, had systems that were, could have been office-based. You know, there were some okay, servers. Yeah. So uh, people um, people needed to have a system that was web-based yeah. so they could work from home. Uh, and obviously our system, um, we did even better during lockdown. So our business really grew. Oh, so you had an initial so, dip, so then you went back up. Yeah. lower cost. Yeah. We were, we, we were driving up the sales of our business and the um, uh, the business grew m massively over lockdown um, and um, you know as I say it was difficult because we had to reduce salaries we had to furlough some people but over a period of time people, everybody came back um, and um, we brought people's salaries back but it was a difficult time. You can imagine uh, nobody expected to uh, for everyone to be sat at home. And obviously, uh, our engineers that have that do work on the big chain system, they're what you call key workers a lot of the time. So they were still working and doing business. Did people get upset when you when you had uh, when you had to reduce the the pay cut, the pay? Uh, I mean, yeah, but you you have these conversations, or you know, honest, transparent conversations. You have to have them, yeah. Um, and um, you know, you have to make difficult decisions. And I think if you take the biggest pay cut, then uh, it shows it that leads you're, by example. You know, you're a team player. You you're prepared to uh, take 
make them make difficult decisions. So I'll going through both of these tough times, I mean, I imagine there's a load, loads more, like smaller things, but these tough times, they must have affected you mentally, it must have affected your family life. How do you get through something like that? Um, I never, ever, uh, I worry about uh, human things, like, you know, I care about my family, I care about my children, um, God forbid something happened to them or whatever that would upset me. Um, obviously, in, uh, you know, cha challenges, you know, uh, I, somebody go I thrive on the, the opportunity to uh, turn a negative into a positive. If I, if I have a customer that calls me and says they've got a problem or they're unhappy, I will make them happy. That's my job. Um, so, um, you know, uh, if everything was perfect, um, you know, it would be boring, wouldn't it? Uh, so, yeah, I'd love everything to be perfect and everybody to be happy, but that's not what, well, it's not reality, is it? Reality is that, you know, we need to be, wake up in the morning, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, we're going to be a lion. I'm going to get up and we're going to go to shul, go to the synagogue and we're going to uh, pray um, like we do and try and do the right thing and then um, embark on our day and whatever is um, comes our way, we'll deal with it, won't we? And we'll try and make it, turn it into a positive. Uh, and we'll also have uh, success because at the end of the day, there'll be an email coming out and we've got this order, this order, this order, and that's great. But then, um, you know, um, no business, no business is, no really successful businesses have not come without the struggle and being over, able to overcome the struggle. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, and I know because I've seen you a lot on LinkedIn and we've emailed and you've got, you, you help a lot in charities. Hey, do you want to tell us a bit about your charities? And uh... So, um, yeah, so since I've become chairman and more of a non-exec role in Big Change, um, I've had more t more time to uh, um, to spend time on, on charitable work. So um, I've been uh, I've become the president of a synagogue um, in Leeds, uh, which is a 1,100 seater synagogue. Oh wow, that's quite uh, big. Yeah, big we don't even have that many in Manchester. Stadium, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Maybe we should replace football. Maybe more people will attend. Yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously, I've also got involved in a bakery. Uh, that's owned by the synagogue, uh, so it's just like a social enterprise, kosher bakery. Um, and I did that really because the person that founded it, uh, God rest his soul, a gentleman called Leon Davidson, um, along with his brother, uh, founded this bakery. And um, they really, it was a, um, they were really entrepreneurial because they, they, they took um, like a porter cabin within the synagogue grounds and they turned it into a kosher bakery. Oh, wow. And uh, they kept it going for about eight years and um, unfortunately Leon um, um, became unwell and uh, somebody took it over but then that person asked me if I would uh, step in because I had a background in bread. And uh, since November I've been uh, at, let's say, putting pounds in and putting pounds on. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it's uh, f I, I'm very passionate about uh, people eating kosher bread, eating kosher food, and Leeds is a small community, and 
we would have been really lost without a kosher bakery. So uh, that's been important. Then I've also been involved, uh, started to get involved with the, um, the Leeds Jewish Welfare Board, which is um, uh, a charity that provides uh, the people that um, may be going through some challenges, uh, support, um, people uh, maybe that need um, you know some extra support in terms of uh, uh, you know getting through life. So the people that uh, have things you know are having a difficult time, the welfare board provides uh, services like the Fed um, to support people that uh, uh, need those services, uh, the less fortunate. And um, so I'm I'm about to become a trustee. Be appointed as a trustee there. Where in the Fed or in the Leeds? In the in the, in the um, Leeds. In Leeds, in the, yeah. Okay. Uh, the, it's the equivalent. Uh, yeah. It's much smaller, but uh, the equivalent of the um, of the Fed. And then also, um, uh, I'm involved in. Uh, well, it is a charity called Business in the Community, um, and that's all about um, sustainability and community and helping. Uh, people that could be uh, supporting food banks or um, helping people into work. Um, so that's a very good organization. Um, and also uh, tend to, um, you know, I'm a big believer in Sadoka and Charity, supporting, yeah. spreading, uh, helping other charities and uh, supporting other charities where I can. Um, and that may be Jewish charities, not Jewish charities, um, charities that are for, for, uh, around health. Um, so uh, a mix. It's, it's, yeah, it's a good thing. It's, it makes the world a better place. Uh, you know Mark Adelston? Uh, I do, yes. Yes, he runs Beaver Brooks with Judas. He says that he, uh, he, gives, he gives money to his employees. So that they give to charity, or he'll match as he'll match, he'll match uh, how much they give to charity up to a certain limit, just because that that will incentivize them to give money to charity. That's incredible. Not because yeah. he, he's like he's got unlimited money, uh, but just because mm. it make it, it makes them into a better person by giving out the money, and like it's made you, it makes the world, it makes everyone better. Exactly, and and obviously Mark himself is uh, you know very charitable, and also um, you know his family over the years and he, he himself has built a fun, phenomenal business you know he's again another business that's over the years um uh, started off uh you know uh, uh in a small way uh the family you know many many years ago and mark's uh probably what third or fourth generation i think so yeah it's a yeah, family business it, yeah yeah and he, he's developed uh further developed and he's really focused around people uh there's a massive uh, investor in people. Um, in fact, I think um, a number of times they've won like best company to work for. Several times, yeah. yeah I think that's several years right. in a row. Interestingly enough, Mark was a, a shareholder of my big change business uh, um, until recently when we found a new financial partner. So um, pleased to say, Mark was successful in that in that investment. Yeah, good, good person to invest in. <laughs> Pardon? You're a good person to invest in. Hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you fed up with constantly grappling with your tax return? Well, look no further. Kangaf accountants have never made it easier to manage your HMRC self-assessment. You will get a tailored service that will save you hours of your time and make sure you never miss that dreaded deadline again. So what are you waiting for? 
head over to kangafltd.com. That's C-A-N-G-A-F-L-T-D.com. Or click the link in the description to see more. So my question was, so you've, you've done so many successful things over your career, over your life, and so many amazing things. If someone young or younger wants to get into pos- the position you've got into and build what you've built, how, what, what's the number one thing you'd tell them? Um, I think the first thing is, obviously, to if you've got an idea, you need to try and do as much research as possible um you need to um uh, try and get surface something called a um you know minimal fireball product or um, or flesh out the service um and then um i always think if you can start it bootstrapped a business and not borrow too much money um you so it's that middle ground between borrowing money but not or, yeah. or getting investments but not too much yeah i think the um the more the less you borrow the more shares you're going to keep and that means uh on the other hand you you don't want to be in a situation where that you're starving you know uh cash trapped and you're not being able to grow so it's a balance isn't it between giving away shares and obviously if you can find different mechanic means of raising money without actually um, selling shares, then that's also a good way. So if you're opening a, a wholesale business and you can factor your invoices to help you generate cash, then that's a good good way to um, have cash to run your business. And there's, there's other ideas as well, but or if you're in a manufacturing business and you can uh, lease a piece of equipment rather than buy it, then it's much better to do that. So, um, you know, I wouldn't uh, do what I did, you know, buy a £6 million property, because <laughs> uh, that's not a good way to, to spend your money or, or to, you know, borrow money in a business. Best is to, um, you know, whatever, you know, borrow money against, um, you know, like um, contracts or invoices or whatever but uh, avoid buying property in a business. But going back to starting up the business, the best, the best thing is to try and be bootstrapped um, and really um, flesh out the idea and, and get as much, do as much market research as you can. Brilliant. Thanks Brilliant. so much for that's, joining us, Martin. That's amazing. That was really interesting. Okay. Uh, great to uh, speak to you today and um, look forward to uh, seeing you again.